0: Back in the early 70s, when I lived in Australia, there was a period of time in Australia, that particular time was so many strikes, there was such a ferment between the labor union and the employers and companies, and, and there were constant strikes, every single day there's a strike, and sometimes you get a national strike that cripples the whole country. And the man who headed up the trade union movement at the time was a man by the name of Bob Hawke, who later became the Australian Prime Minister. When things were coming to the boiling point, one of the reporters came to Mr. Hawk and he said, Mr. Hawk, your father was a congregational minister. Can't you just give in a little? Haven't you heard what the Bible said, that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth? Well, this rough-talking Rhodes Scholar, without a moment's hesitation, says the Bible is wrong. <laughs> the meek will never inherit the earth. The meek will never get anywhere. The world belongs to the aggressive and to the assertive, and to the strong. Now to Mr. Hawke and indeed to most people, meekness is weakness. This is a common perception in our world. The moment a person mentions the word meekness, and they think of someone who is a doormat, someone who is weak, someone who is indecisive, someone who is timid, Someone who is a loser. Someone who is fearful. Someone who is a spineless. Someone who is coward. Someone who is told what to do, where to go. And to put it in the vernacular, in case these things did not make any sense to you, a first-class wimp. But the true meaning of the word meek has nothing to do with all of these descriptions. In fact, I was reminded recently of a story of the teacher who asked her students to write a short essay about how meek the Quakers are. And a little girl in the class uh, wrote this uh, short essay, and she said the following. Quakers are very meek people who never fight and never answer back. My father must be a Quaker, but my mother is not. (laughs) Giving away family secrets. Well, I want to balance that and tell you about little Tommy. Little Tommy was given a dog. And he decided to name this new dog Uncle Joe. And when somebody asked him, he said, Tommy, why on earth would you call this dog with that odd name? He said, well, because he's just like that uncle of mine. He growls at everything he eats. And he wants to fight everyone he meets. Meekness is neither weakness, nor timidity, nor being a doormat. Meekness, as we're going to see today, means power under control. Write that word down. Power under control. Not so long ago, a very prominent citizen of this nation called Christians losers. Probably, and I'm speculating, because he went to a Christian school and maybe he was taught the song... Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And he probably concluded that uh, if he follows this axiom, that he will never be as successful as he is. But that is a distortion of the real meaning of the third beatitude in the Master's Manifesto. It is utter distortion. Certainly no one would accuse Moses as being weak. No one would ever accuse Moses of being coward. Yet the Bible said God describes Moses in the scripture as the meekest man on the face of the earth. There are no more courageous men that ever walked on the face of this earth like the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he said of himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. And the fact the Bible tells us that there is such a thing as sinless anger. There is type of thing As righteous anger. There is courageous type of anger. There is a godly anger. When Moses came down from the mountain carrying the commandments in his hands. And then he watched the people for whom God has performed miracle after miracle. Building a bull and worshipping him as Yahweh. He in anger broke those tablets in his hand. That was a righteous anger. When Jesus came in the temple and saw it being desecrated by unbridled greed, he whipped them out of there and cleansed his father's house. Listen to me very carefully, please. There is a godly anger which builds up. But then there is godless anger that tears down. There is a righteous anger that cleanses and purifies. But then there is a selfish anger that defiles there is a courageous anger that seeks to glorify God and God alone. But then there is a cowardic anger that seeks self-glory. And the Bible makes a distinction between power out of control and power under control. Listen to some of the scriptural text here. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 32. It says that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit is better than he who takes the city. That is power under control. Proverbs 25, 28. He who has no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That is power out of control. I have a plaque somewhere in my office, that is written by one of the great Korean Christian saints, Dr. Han Kuchik, and it says this, when you lose your temper, you lose everything. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be a nuclear scientist to discover or to know or to realize or to surmise that I'm an expert on this subject. I know it well. Before I submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I had such a foul temper, I had to cry to God in tears to deliver me from such a temper. I said, Lord, if I'm going to serve you, if I'm going to be a minister of the gospel, you have to deliver and I want to tell you and testify to you, God can deliver and he will deliver. Years ago, God began to teach me this lesson which I have asked for. (laughs) Be careful what you pray for. God will give it to you in abundance. God began to teach me this lesson, this very important lesson in my life. And the lesson is this. That anger is power just like fire has power in it. I know what it is for the fire of anger to flare up. When fire is under control, it becomes your servant. When fire under control and you're able to harness it, you can accomplish great things with it. But when the fire gets out of control, it becomes your master and it makes a devastating havoc, not only to you, but all those around you. So it is with anger. It can be your servant or it can be your master. A woman came to Evangelist Billy Sunday back in the early part of this century. She said to him, she said, Mr. Sunday... After my temper flares up, it is all over with. And the evangelist looked at her and he said, Madam, so is a shotgun blast, but look at the damage that is left behind. I have known Christians who have supposedly known the Lord and been believers for many years, yet they have never learned this important third lesson from the Beatitude in the Master's Manifesto. Turn to Matthew 5, 5 as we're going through this Master's Manifesto. And I want to tell you at the outset that Jesus' Beatitudes are like a string of pearls that identify the Christian character. There's so much talk about character in our society today. And yet, even those who talk about it, they do not understand it. Because if you want to know what a Christian character is, look at Matthew chapter 5. And just as the fruit of the Spirit There are many in number, but they are in the singular, one fruit. So are the Beatitudes. They may be nine or eight, depending on your count. Yet they are one cluster. To be sure, they are given to us in steps. One step follows the other. You can't miss one out and then skip one and jump on top of the other. They are systematically given to us by the Master Himself who knows us. And He knows how we live and how we ought to live they are systematically given to us so that we can develop christian character in a world that is increasingly a world that is increasingly belittling the importance of character let's look at these previous steps the scripture said those who are poor in spirit those who have come to the lord jesus christ declaring spiritual bankruptcy of themselves They have the kingdom of God. But beyond that, they will be the very people who are going to mourn over their sin. They're not going to rationalize their sin. They're not going to explain it away. They're they're going to mourn over it and repent of it. The poor in spirit who mourns over their sin, those who will have their power under control, which brings me to this third point. Why? Because power under control will allow the believers to possess the earth. So the poor in spirit, and those who mourn over their sin, that describes our disposition toward God. It is between you and God alone when you come declaring your spiritual bankruptcy, when you come mourning over sin. But for those who are meek, that's our disposition toward the rest of the community, toward humanity. Those of you who have the right disposition toward God, will have to have the right disposition toward one another. Those who are walking humbly before God will walk God's way before each other. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't want to get technical here, and I really work hard to avoid that. Giving you big words, but the word meek in the Greek and the original was a word that is very familiar to the people who were listening to Jesus. As soon as the word is mentioned, they knew exactly what he's talking about. And it was used to describe the soothing effect of medicine. It was used to describe the effect of gentle breeze upon sailing. It was used to describe a wild animal who has been tamed and broken in. These were three common usage of that word. That the moment they heard the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Blessed are the meek, they immediately visualized those three things of what the word intended to mean. Look at each of these closely the medicine, the wind, and the wild animal. If there's one thing that these three incompatible items have together, it is power. Medicine, wind, and horses all have power. And if their power is under control, wonderful things will happen. If their power is out of control, devastation could result. Medicine, the right dosage of medicine is wonderful. It could help. But if you do, like some person that I will not characterize, who decided to take the whole bottle and drink it all at once in order to get well quickly, it will kill you. That's the wrong use of medicine. A gentle breeze is delightful in the summertime. A gentle breeze is delightful for the sailor. But too much wind becomes hurricane, and hurricanes destroy and devastate at their wake. A broken horse is a delight to his master, but an untamed horse is dangerous. And when Jesus used the word meekness, he was telling all of his hearers. he's telling us today, about power. Power that is harnessed, power that is tamed, power that is under control, power that is subdued, power that is broken. You know, when Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds got into an argument and started fighting with each other, what happened? Abraham had power under control. Lot, his nephew, was wild. He did not have his power under control. So what Abraham, who had power under control, told Lot and his shepherds, just take what you want. And leave me in peace. Now Abraham could have said to Lot. One of the following things. You only have what you have. Because of what I've given you. Listen to me young man. In this culture. The elders get the best. And you get the leftover. Listen to me. You are a spoiled brat. I don't know where I went wrong with you. You will get nothing. Get out of here. He could have done that. And he could have been within his right. But to the contrary, Abraham had power. And his power was under control. The control of God. So he said to Lot, in effect, take what you want. Go anywhere you choose. And I will take the leftover and I will go in the opposite direction. If you go to the east, I'll go to the west. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. Please listen carefully to this. It is very important to every one of us. Abraham knew that his his inheritance is secure in God. Abraham believed that his sufficiency is in the Lord alone. Abraham knew that God was the source of his blessings and God could never, 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 never run out of resources. Abraham knew that his greedy nephew could not rob him of anything that God has for him. Listen carefully. No one, no one, no one can rob you of what God has for you. If someone tries, God is going to make it up to you with dividends on top. When you are meek before God, when you have your power under control of God's Holy Spirit, God's blessings for you are yours alone, not anyone else's. It has your name written all over it, and no one can take that away from you. God kept his promises to Abraham, and he being meek, inherited the earth. Joseph, the epitome of meekness, maligned and mistreated by his envious and jealous brothers. Yet when he came to power, he kept his power under control. I don't have to tell you, Joseph, when he became the number two man in the most powerful nation in the world, that he had power, (laughs) and he could have used it. For himself, to venge himself from his brothers, but he didn't do it. Joseph had the power to destroy his mean and jealous and envious brothers, but he didn't do it. Why? Because Joseph was meek. He had his power under control. Listen to me very carefully and hear me right, please. I don't want you to misunderstand this. The meek will always win, always win. I'm going to explain that. Meekness manifests itself greatly. Meekness manifests itself mostly. When you have power to hurt those who hurt you, but you don't. When you have the power to tarnish your enemy's reputation, but you refuse. When you have the power to destroy the one who hates you, but you don't. When you have the power to undermine confidence in those who betray you, but you don't. When you refuse to do this, that is meekness, according to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That is power under control. But if you're looking for a perfect example of meekness, look no further than the Lord Jesus himself. He, being the creator of the world... Through whom all things were made. For whom all things were made. And yet the Bible said he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shearer. He who knew every secret of every heart. And yet when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to him who judges Justly. How many of you would agree that it took more power for Jesus Christ to submit to the will of the Father than for Peter to draw out his sword and chop the ear of the servant of the high priest? What Peter did was natural. What Jesus did was supernatural. And we are called to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this question. How are you doing in your meekness department? How are you doing? Do you have your power under control? When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, he was quoting from Psalm 37, because there it says the meek will inherit the earth. Now, if you've ever read the Psalm, Psalm 37, you cannot escape the fact that this writer was going through a tough time. You cannot avoid that, even if you read it casually. <laughs> Wicked people were trying to cut him down. Dishonest people were slandering him and trying to ruin his reputation. What would be your attitude towards such people if they would do that to you? What would be my attitude toward them? <laughs> I tell you, years ago, a friend of mine, some of you know this, <laughs> He used to answer such a question by saying, "Well, punch him in the nose and pray for forgiveness later." <laughs> <laughs> and that's normal; that is the natural way. But you know what most people do when they get in these situations—they fret, and they fret, and they fret, and turmoil inside is like a volcano. And that is why three times in the just the first eleven verses, and he begins in verse one: "Fret not yourself." but cease from anger and forsake wrath. I wonder how many of you know that anger can destroy. It can destroy completely. In a monastery, an old monastery near Babenhausen in Germany, you'll find two pair of deer antlers. They are permanently interlocked. They're hanging there in the monastery. They were found in that position many years ago. Apparently, the two animals had been fighting fiercely. And their horns became entangled. And they could not untangle them. They could not get disengaged. And as a result, both perished from hunger. Wouldn't you like to take those horns to every home every institution and to every church where people are determined to fight to the last ditch to have their way. Wouldn't you like to do that? But the psalmist is saying to us, the meek will always trust in the Lord. The meek will always delight themselves in the Lord. The meek will always rest in the Lord. The meek will always wait patiently for the Lord. How do you develop this character of meekness? Well, Galatians chapter 5 tells us that we cannot manufacture meekness. You cannot manufacture it. You try, but you won't work. You say, I'm going to next time, I'm going to be careful, and I'm not going to say anything, it won't work. And I'm not discouraging you, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> meekness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit are never manufactured. Fruit is cultivated. When you become poor in spirit, when you are able to mourn over your sin, the Spirit of the Lord will help you develop the spirit of meekness. The Spirit of the Lord will help you cultivate the fruit of meekness in your life. But here's the bad news to some of you who are impatient like me. That cultivating the fruit of meekness takes time. It does take time. Listen carefully. When Moses was growing up in Egypt, being pampered in Pharaoh's household, he was not a meek man. (laughs) In fact, the first time he saw two people fighting together, he killed one. He just took sides right away. But after 40 years in the wilderness, cutting his teeth on shepherding, God was not only preparing him for his ministry, he was cultivating in Moses the spirit of meekness. Moses could never have done for God what God called him to do without the agony of those 40 years of cultivation in the wilderness. Prior to those 40 years in the wilderness Moses could no more put up with the junk that that the Israelites were giving him and all the fainting fits that they were giving him out in the wilderness, he would no more could have done that than fly to the moon. Listen to me, please. God might be taking you through a wilderness experience right now in order to cultivate in you the fruit of meekness, in order to develop in you power under control. And I only know two ways that you can react to that. You can either submit to the hardship of cultivation or you can fret. You can either surrender to the process of cultivation of meekness or you can rebel and produce the hardness of your heart. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. How shall the meek inherit the earth? Psalm 37 gives you the answer. Turn to it. There in this psalm, you're going to notice, you can't escape it, that the psalmist is contrasting the wicked and the righteous. The wicked will do this, and the righteous will do that. The wicked will feel this way, and the righteous will feel that way. This is what's going to happen to the wicked, and this is what's going to happen to the righteous. In other words, here's what the psalmist is saying. These are my words, not his words, but I'm going to explain it to you. It's a kind of a, a use of translation. Some of you are used to that. The psalmist is saying, you know, from the outside, it appears that the wicked is winning and the righteous is losing. But appearances can be deceiving. (laughs) That's really what he's saying. But then he tells you the answer. He said, when you delight yourself in the Lord, you will be able to have a different view of things. When you are able to trust the Lord completely and fully... When you are able to submit to the Lord totally, He will give you a sneak preview of what the real picture is all about. Hear me right. As long as you are fretting, you are seeing things from the outside. And as long as you see things from the outside, you're going to keep on fretting. And as long as you keep on fretting, you're going to see things from the outside. And as long as you see things from the outside, you're going to keep on fretting. And as long as you keep on fretting, you're going to see things from the outside. It's a vicious circle. Hear me right, I'm getting ready to close. When you seek nothing for yourself, God will give you everything. God said to Jeremiah, seek great things for yourself, seek them not. Jesus said that when you seek first the kingdom of God, He's going to give you all that is needful. And that is why the Apostle Paul could say with assurance, having nothing and yet possessing all things. Glory to God. You know, there's one thing that you notice in the Gospels about Jesus. Not anywhere in the Gospels did you ever find Jesus fretting about anything. Even when things got real rough. Even when things got real, appeared to be at their worst. Jesus never fretted. Not once. (laughs) The disciples were fretting right there in the middle of the storm. Jesus was sleeping in the middle of it. While they were all fretting about what we're going to do about food, Jesus was not fretting because he was sure of his daddy's provision. The meek shall inherit the earth. Your inheritance comes to you when someone dies and leave you a bequest in his or her will. But this is different. Listen carefully. It doesn't work the same way here. In this case, what Jesus is telling us is that your inheritance comes when you die. When you die to self, you grow in meekness. When you die to control, you will grow in meekness. When you die to scheming, you will grow in meekness. When you die to manipulation and conniving and working things out your way, you will grow in weakness. And when you grow in meekness, you will inherit All things in Christ Jesus. Joseph waited upon the Lord and would not take things in his own hands. And one day he was exalted and inherited the earth. David waited upon the Lord and refused to kill Saul and he inherited the land. The meek don't have to fret, they don't have to fight, they don't have to worry, only submit. Because they know that daddy's in control. Listen to what James said. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Do you long to be liberated from fretting? Do you long to be liberated from anger? Do you long to be liberated? Here's the good news. I give you the bad news, but here's the good news. God is longing to liberate you. And I seldom testify unless I know that I'm going to bring glory to God. I know that God liberates and that God frees. And I know that He longs to do it. If you're willing and if you're ready to say, God, come. Heavenly Father, it is with utter humility and brokenness of heart that we stand before you, the God who loves us so, that desire to give us all things in Christ Jesus, that he has given us all things in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you will empower us and that you will liberate us. Lord, we know if we did not know this, we wouldn't even pray that you long to liberate us, that you want to bring healing to us, that you want to bring peace and joy into our lives. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would daily remind us in order to hand back to you all of our frets and all of our anger, that we be men and women of joy and peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.